Amen. Well, welcome to Christ Community Church. If you're visiting with us, I'm Pastor Matt. I'm on staff here. I work with students, young adults, and most recently, uh, my wife and I are leading a church planting team from Christ Community in about a year and a half. We're extremely excited about that. But uh, this morning, I'm going to ask you to turn to your, in your scriptures to the book of Romans, chapter 1. We're going to be hanging out there a lot, so you might want to stick your program or your finger or leave it open beside you. We're going to be all over Romans today. While you're doing that, uh, Ralph Hart, where are you at, buddy? Happy birthday, my friend. That's right, yeah. <laughs> now, when you get home, make sure you tell your wife to be careful what you tell the guy with the microphone. So, anyway, uh, we've begun this, this journey, this struggle, this endeavor to ask God some difficult questions. And we began last week with questioning whether or not God is even a reality, and this week we move into an almost even darker subject matter, and we're struggling to understand and wrap our minds around some very difficult questions this morning. Now, um, uh, my friend Bob, who couldn't be here because he's in southern Florida this morning, a tough life for him. He was talking to me this week, and he said, so when I get the recording, I'll have all my questions answered, and so I'm going to confess right now that he's going to be sorely disappointed, and you might be as well, because we're going to find that there just aren't very good answers for some of these questions. We're going to try as we might to wrap our minds around some of this issue. We're going to try as we might to understand and wrestle with and grasp and at least come to a point where we can live in the tension. But I don't believe that we will have an exhaustive answer to the question is why does God not stop suffering today? It's going to feel unsatisfactory, at least it does in my heart. But I trust that as we do an honest study and an honest search, at least we'll be able to live in the tension of what the scriptures tell us. So before we go any further, we have to admit to ourselves that suffering is a very real reality of life today. Everywhere we look, people suffer. This week, I spoke to people who are suffering in their marriage, and I spoke to people who are suffering of loneliness from being single. Each group believing the other person isn't suffering. I've spoken this week, people who are suffering as they're struggling to get their kids to do the right thing, and I've also spoken this week to people who are suffering because they are unable to have children, each group oblivious to the other group suffering. Everywhere we look, people are in pain. Everywhere we look, people struggle. Everywhere we look, suffering is a very real part of life. It is tempting to dismiss it. It is tempting to gloss over the issue and say, well, if you only knew Jesus more, you wouldn't be suffering. In fact, there's a popular strain in theology that is very wrong, but it says that God wants you to be happy, healthy, and wealthy. 
And if you're not happy, healthy, and wealthy, you just need a little more faith. And you could spend $29.95 and go down to Walmart and pick up a copy of Your Best Life Now from the shelf, and there will be a guy who says, God wants you to be happy, healthy, and wealthy. And if you're not happy, healthy, and wealthy, you don't have enough faith. The problem is we're going to see is scriptures speak about suffering often. And they speak about it in the context of not if, but when. The expectation from Genesis to Revelations is that there will be suffering in the lives of humanity. And we don't like it, but it is reality. But the question is, Is God willing to prevent evil but unable? Then he's not omnipotent. Is God able but not willing? Then he is malevolent. Is God both able and willing? Then whence does evil come from? Is he neither able nor willing? Then why call him God? Epicurus posed that question back 270 B.C., And it's a valid question. In other words, the question is, is God able to prevent suffering in this world? Is he able to end evil today, but unwilling? If so, he is not a good God. Is God willing to prevent evil, but not able to? If he's unable to do it, then he cannot be omnipotent and all-powerful. But if God is both willing and and able, then where does evil come from? And if he's neither, then he isn't really God anyway. It is a valid question. This is a question, the quintessential question, the classic question that believers and non-believers ask themselves repeatedly. Those who have a faith background and those who don't have a faith background, we struggle with this. How can we reconcile a loving God who by nature says he wants us to, to have what's best for us, who by nature wants to love on us, who by nature wants to comfort us, who by nature wants to care for us, how do we reconcile this character of God with the amazing suffering in this world? How do we walk into a hospital room as a wife holds her husband's hand as he's dying of cancer? and reconcile that evil of suffering with a loving, all-powerful God? How do we walk into a funeral home and tell the parents who have just lost a child that their suffering is reconcilable with the loving and all-powerful God? How do we justify rape and murder with the loving and all-powerful God? How do we reconcile natural disasters? A couple weeks ago, tornadoes opened up all over Kansas, Oklahoma, and Texas. How do we reconcile the 
nature taking the lives of so many people with the loving and all-powerful God. This, brothers and sisters, is the question. Now, the reality is the existence of evil leaves some people to propose and believe that that constitutes the non-existence of God. In other words, some people say and earnestly believe and even evangelize that because there is evil in the world, there is no God. They say, look at nature. Nature is violent. Things eat things. Things kill things. There's parasites. This is the way it is. It is nature. It is survival of the fittest. It is natural selection. This is just the way it is. Now, I submit to you that that's an even less satisfying answer because it provides absolutely no framework for understanding suffering. If the suffering in my life is nothing but the consequence of randomness, of chance, then it is absolutely meaningless. And nothing good can come out of it. Without the framework of God's sovereign hand in my life in times of suffering, my suffering has no value. It is the result of some cosmic cruelty brought about by nothing more than chance. If that is the worldview, that some have adopted, that is a hopeless worldview. As difficult as it may be to reconcile a loving God with suffering, it is even more difficult to relegate my suffering to nothingness. And I trust that it would be the same for you. Now, scriptures speak often about suffering. In fact, it's difficult to open your Bible to any page and not read about somebody suffering. The epistles mention suffering continually. The Old Testament talk about Israel's suffering. Israelites were enslaved to Egypt for years, generations. Scriptures speak of suffering often. The framework to understand suffering cannot be to leave God out of the equation. Because in doing so, we dismiss the only thing that can give any of this any value, meaning, or purpose. 
we must put God in the framework of our understanding. So then, why is there suffering? Before we go any further, we have to discuss the very nature of suffering. In order to discuss the very nature of suffering, we have to understand at least its initial cause. Why does suffering exist? Where does suffering come from? Revelation, or sorry, Romans 1, verse 28. When they refused to acknowledge God, he abandoned them to their evil minds and let them do things that should never be done. Their lives became full of every kind of wickedness, sin, greed, hate, envy, murder, fighting, deception, malicious behavior, and gossip. They are backsatters, haters of God, insolent, proud, and boastful. They are forever inventing new ways of sinning and are disobeying their parents. They refuse to understand, break their promises, and are and heartless and unforgiving. They are fully aware of God's death penalty for those who do these things, yet they go right ahead and do them. And worse yet, they encourage others to do them too. Now, if we were to read the whole passage, which we didn't, if you were to start with the very first verse in Romans, you would get this progression in which God creates the world and then people continually choose to go against God's way. In fact, in verses 24, 26, and 28, Paul repeats this very disturbing phrase that says, God gave them up. God gave them up to their sin. God gave them up to their desire. God gave them up to the things that they wanted to do. A very disturbing phrase because it suggests something very innate about human nature, something that we don't like to admit about ourselves, something that I don't want to admit about myself, and that is humanity, apart from God, is evil. Beginning with the fall of Adam and the introduction of sin in this world, Romans says that humanity has given itself over to evil. Humankind, depraved by nature, corrupted by sin, brings suffering. C.S. Lewis puts it this way. He says, The lost enjoy forever the horrible freedom they have demanded and therefore are self-enslaved. Humanity has the propensity to suffer and make other people suffer. Our sin has corrupted our nature and brought forth suffering in our lives and in the lives of others. Imagine with me a husband who chooses to give himself over to his selfish desires and has an affair. This affair brings forth a divorce. This divorce brings forth suffering on his wife and his children and perhaps even his grandchildren and his grandchildren's children. Suffering that was not the will of God. 
It was not the will of God that this husband give himself over to his lustful desires and have an affair. That was not the will of God. It was not the will of God that a marriage be broken up. That was not the will of God. It was not the will of God that children be raised in a broken home. That was not the will of God. Suffering brought forth by the birth of sin. The birth of sin brought forth by the evilness of the flesh. The evilness of the flesh because of the corrupt nature from Adam's sin in the garden. Humanity is broken. We have the ability to bring suffering. Your hands, brothers and sisters, have the ability to bring suffering. My hands have the ability to bring suffering. But that's not enough. If we skip over to Romans 8, verse 18 through 25, Paul says, yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will give us later. For all creation is waiting eagerly for the future day when God will reveal who his children are. Against its will, everything on earth was subject to God's curse. Creation anticipates the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom in death, from death and decay. For we know all of creation has been groaning in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And even we Christians, although the Holy Spirit is within us, is a foretaste of future glory, also groan to be released from this pain and suffering. We too wait anxiously for that day when God will give us our full rights as his children. Creation is broken. Creation has been corrupted. The very world we live in is broken, subject to fertility, cursed by the hand of God. God says in Genesis 3, I curse the ground that you will farm. It will no longer easily spring forth crops and food for you to eat. You will have to work. You will have to toil at them. The result of your sin will be the very ground you walk on is subject to my curse. Creation has been corrupted as a result of sin as well. Violence entered the world. Destruction. Natural disasters. Pain, suffering, all a result of sin. And scripture says right there in Romans 21, Paul says this very earth longs for the day of restoration. Creation itself is groaning in childbirth. It seeks to be restored. A restoration which is coming. 
Now, it's important to take a quick time out and, and make something, something very clear, and that is not all of my suffering as a result of my personal sin. In fact, Jesus says this in Luke 13. He says, about that time, Jesus was informed that Pilate had murdered some people in Galilee and they were sacrificing in the temple of Jerusalem. Do you think those Galileans were the worst sinners than other people in Galilee, he asked. Is that why they suffered? Not at all. And you will perish also unless you turn from your evil ways and turn to God. And what about the 18 men who died when the Tower of Salom fell on them? Were they the worst sinners in Jerusalem? No. And I tell you again, that unless you repent, you will also perish. Jesus draws this parallel. This, there was this disaster. This tower falls on these people, and people are killed. Not unlike hurricanes, not unlike earthquakes, not unlike natural disasters today. And Jesus says to this crowd, he says, did they die because they were worse sinners than anyone else? He says, no. That is not the case. Their death was just death. It just happened. They happened to be in the wrong place. They just died. A result of the corruption of creation. But use this event to understand something very clearly. That their physical death is, is nothing compared to spiritual death. Not all sin is a result in my personal suffering. This really irritates us, if we're real honest. Have you ever done this? Somebody flies by you on the freeway, and you're like, where's a cop when you need him, right? People get away with things that you could never get away with. Not all suffering is a result of personal sin. If I'm out in the yard and I step on a rake and the rake hits me upside the head, it's my fault for leaving a rake in the yard. It's not because early in the morning I said a cuss word. In fact, it's also important to understand this. God is not the author of evil. We are. In James, James 1, 13, it says, and remember, no one who wants to do wrong should ever say God is tempting me. God never tempted one to do wrong. He never tempts anyone else either. Brothers and sisters, Suffering is not always the result of my personal sin, and it's not the result of God. It wasn't that God decided to make us suffer. It was that we decided we wanted to suffer. And as a result, everything became as it is. Uh, when I was a kid, I used to read this book, uh, Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs. Have you ever read that book? Not the movie. The movie's not as cool as the book. But, uh, so in this book, this town of Chew and Swallow, this grandfather sits down to tell his, his grandkids this story. And it's about this town, and food falls from the sky. And occasional storms of hamburgers come in town, and for breakfast, pancakes fall. And, and, and 
the, the town of chew and swallow is ecstatic with this. They love it. It's, they don't have grocery stores. They've completely decided that this is the best way. What I need will fall from the sky. I like this. But what happens is, over time, the food becomes bigger and bigger and more dangerous and more dangerous. And at the point, they decide that they can no longer live and chew and swallow. They must leave and go somewhere else. The very thing that they wanted had become the very thing that threatened to kill them. You must understand that this suffering began with our desire to get what we wanted and now it is the thing that threatens to kill us. It is a result of sin and not by God's design. But... There is promises within Scripture. There are promises that you and I can hold on to that will get us through. In 1 Peter 5.10, it says, In his kindness God called you to his eternal glory by means of Jesus Christ. After you have suffered a little while, he will restore you and strengthen you, and he will place you on a firm foundation. In Revelations 21, 1 through 4, it says, Then I looked and I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The old heaven and the old earth had disappeared and the sea was gone. And I saw a holy city, a new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven like a beautiful bride prepared for her husband. I heard a loud shout in the throne saying, Look, the home of God is now with his people. He will live with them and be with his people. God himself will be with them. He will remove all of their sorrows and there will be no death or sorrow or crying or pain for the old world and its evils are gone forever. There is a promise that this suffering, although present, is temporary. For whatever reason God allows the suffering to continue, the promise is that it is temporary. One day, brothers and sisters, one day there will be no more pain. One day there will be no more suffering. One day there will be no more crying. One day there will be no more cancer. There will be no more death. There will be no more sickness. There will be no more struggles. One day this will happen. It is the promise of God in heaven begun with the redemption work of Christ. It will be completed when he comes again one day. We have that promise to rest on. This framework of understanding that suffering is a result of sin, but it's only temporary, gives everything else meaning within it. But you ask, well, what's the delay? Well, in Second Peter, but you must not forget, dear friends, that day is like a thousand years to the Lord, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord isn't being slow about his promise to return, as some people think. No, he's being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to perish, so he's giving everyone more time to repent. Here is the quintessential unsatisfactory answer that none of us will like. 
If God had ended evil at the day of its birth in the garden, God would have ended us. And because God loves us so, he didn't. In fact, he says, I will jump into your suffering with you. I will walk along it with you. So what must we do? Well, we cannot say that God doesn't understand suffering. For Isaiah writes, long before Christ went to the cross, he was despised and rejected, a man of other sorrows, acquainted with the bitterest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. When he went by, he was despised and we did not care. Yet, it was our weakness he carried out. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And when we thought our troubles were punishment from God for his own sins, but he was wounded and crushed for our sins. He was beaten that we might have peace. He was whipped that we might be healed. So this is what we do. We trust God in the midst of our suffering. This is what we do. We recognize that Jesus gets it. He understands suffering in ways that we don't understand suffering. We understand that Jesus on the cross cried out, my father, why have you forsaken me? Because in that moment, he experienced suffering greater than you and I can imagine. And we trust God. Scripture repeats in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy, and in the New Testament in Hebrews, God's promise that says, I will never leave you or forsake you. It's so important, it's included twice. We trust God won't leave us. And then we understand that even though suffering exists in the present, God will use it for a purpose. Even though God didn't offer it, author it, even though God didn't design it, even though God didn't want it, God will use it. And so we turn to Romans 5 for this. I'm going to invite you to turn to Romans 5, verse 3. We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they are good for us. They help us learn to endure, endurance helps develop strength of character in us and in character, strength of confidence, expectations of salvation. And this expectation will not disappoint us, for we know how dearly God loves us because he has given the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with love. Have you ever met somebody who has this faith that you admire? Someone who displays Jesus in a way that makes you feel guilty. Have you ever met somebody that just oozes Jesus from their core? How does one get there? 
through suffering. There is this organic interconnection between suffering and relationship, and between relationship and hope. In my suffering, I have nowhere else to turn but God. And the more I turn to God, the stronger my relationship with him goes. And the stronger my relationship with him goes, the more like him I become and the more hopeful about tomorrow I get. God wants to use your suffering to bear fruit. He wants to use your suffering to influence others. If you think about it, the greatest testimonies, the ones that we ask people to share, the ones that we YouTube, the ones that we listen to, the ones that we talk about are never about somebody who never had a problem in their life. Those are boring. We don't want to hear those. Oh, you grew up in the church? You're always a Christian? Eh. I want to hear the alcoholic. I want to hear the guy who was in prison. I want to hear the woman who thought she was going to have to have an abortion, but God saved her and her baby. I want to hear that one. I want to hear about the people who get through struggle. I want to hear about the people who get through and persevere. I want to hear about the people who grew out of that. I don't want to hear about the person who was born with a silver spoon in their mouth and never had a problem, and daddy always fixed everything. That doesn't resonate with my soul. It probably doesn't resonate with your soul. And that's not to discount that by any means. That's just to make a point. God will use your testimony to impact others. God will use your struggle to deepen a relationship with him. You see, there's this, there's this statement that Jesus makes to his disciples. And it's deeply profound. And it's found in John 10. And Jesus just gets done telling his disciples that he's leaving them. Jesus gets done telling his disciples that Peter's going to betray them. And Peter looks at him undoubtedly afraid for what Jesus had just told him what happened. And he says, Lord, I want to go with you. And lovingly, Jesus looks at his disciples and he says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Because even though I won't be with you physically, I will send the Spirit to be with you because I promised you I will never leave you or forsake you. And these times of struggle are times when we really feel that. There was a, a time 
last, uh, a couple summers ago, and Tab and I were driving to Colorado because we had to have a, a court date because custody for my boys is being challenged. And so we spend 20 hours in the car driving to Colorado. And it's me, and it's her, and I have ADD, and she wants to read a book, and it was suffering, right? And we've got all this worry, we've got all this struggle, and we've got all this pain, and we've got all this, this scared, paralyzing feeling. What's the judge going to say? What's going to happen? What's God's going to do? And we've got people back here praying, and we're praying in the car, and we just don't know what to do. But as I look back, that car ride was one of the best times we've ever had together. And as I look back, it was one of the best seasons where I've ever connected with God. And that brings forward fruit into my life. This is what God will do. Suffering is here. It is a reality of life. Understanding it doesn't bring clarity. But dealing with it through Jesus brings perseverance. And perseverance, relationship. And there's this organic inner connection between going to God in my struggles and hanging out with God when everything's okay. And the deeper that relationship gets, the easier it is to deal with this struggle. And before I know it, God's got me through it. And the next one is right around the corner. Because that is the way life is. But in Romans 8.28, Paul writes this verse, this verse that makes hardly any sense, that for we know that God will work together good, everything for those who love him. I don't understand how, I don't understand why, I don't understand how this works, I don't understand how this gets done. I don't understand how God is able to interject himself into the time when I need him most and bring forth fruit. I don't really fully understand it, but I'm glad he does it. Because I know in his great cosmic plan, all this will be good. Whether he wanted it to happen this way or whether it was a result of sin, either way, God is big. Either way, God is strong. Either way, God is sovereign. And God, brothers and sisters, I promise you, will not let you down. He will not let go. So if you're suffering, if you've been out of a job a while, if your spouse is sick, if you've lost somebody, if your kids are making poor choices, if you're hurting, if you're not getting along with somebody, if you're struggling, I make this plea. 
go through it with Jesus. Don't do it alone. Will you stand and pray with me?